Howdy y'all, welcome back. Today is Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. I'm Trey Crowder and that he hath returned is Mark A.G. Mark, welcome back. How was Florida with your in-laws? Uh, fantastic, Trey. Uh, yeah. I did, uh, I love Florida both as a place and as a general concept. You know, I love, yes. uh, <laughs> it was like, if there, if there wasn't a place that was just populated with like, you know, uh, Rednecks, rich Yankees, uh, Puerto Ricans, Cuban expats, and CIA agents who retired to run cocaine, then you'd have to invent it. Uh, love it. It's great. I saw I saw a guy drinking with his emotional a miniature emotional support horse. So that's probably the most Florida thing I saw. <laughs> there it is. I was going to ask you if you didn't have any kind of like, uh, you know, just summation of the Florida aesthetic. But I, yeah, there you go. I knew you'd have one. Yeah, uh, I think that like, you know, Florida gets a rap of being uh, – the crazy place that's where the crazy people are whatever but like you just said you know just when you break it down the way you just did it's like well yeah you know you'll have that in, in a place that has all those different demographics there in the I sun mean, the the whole place like it shouldn't exist like it's like it's like a crime the whole the whole place is crime is it like anything south of where the everglades start uh, start is absolutely uninhabitable if you don't pump it dry which you right. absolutely have to do to put put houses there. But like, there's all these stories. If you read about anything with the environmental history of Florida, about like, uh, like what would happen was they would invite people down to like scout for winter homes, but they would do it during like during the winter when it was when when the water was low. They would right. sell all these idiot rich Yankees land that would immediately be underwater as soon as summer happened. <laughs> right. Like that was that was based the, the the basis of the beginnings of the Florida economy, and it hasn't gotten much different since then. So. Yeah, I kind of have the opposite experience with like New England and like Maine and stuff. I've literally only ever been there like during the summertime. And I'm like, this is the most picturesque, beautiful part of the world. This is insane. Mm -hmm. But you talk to people that even that live there, you know, who love it. They're like, yeah, you should probably see it in the winter first before you think that. It's it's kind of a whole different thing. there is a I gotta I gotta find it, dig it up. But there's like a, like a congressional testimony from like this army captain who because like what would happen was people would go down there and then need to be like they would get lost and need to be rescued and stuff. So this guy's testifying in front of on, uh, Congress, begging them to wall off Florida halfway down so morons can't go down there. And get stuff. <laughs> we do, we, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we might need a Florida wall. Uh, yeah, people don't talk about that enough. All right, so. Let's get into the show. I'm Trey. That's Mark with us as always. Producer Matt. Producing Mattin. This is Weekly Skews tonight. A uh, long overdue update on the progress of the MAGA world's attempt to stop the steal. Spoiler alert, it is comically absurd. Also, we will be joined by our guest tonight, pollster John Ray, for a discussion on one of our pet topics here on the show. Democrats' efforts to reach rural America. A conversation that I'm sure will be as enlightening as it is encouraging. <laughs> this, yeah, the the, uh, the the article in the Washington Post we're going to reference today with this guy's research, and it's going to make you want to. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that and more on tonight's skews. But first, as always, we begin with the daily dumbass. Matt, graphic, please. Tonight's dumbass, you know her, you've missed her, don't lie. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who spoke before Congress in opposition to a bipartisan committee being formed to investigate the events surrounding the January 6th Capitol insurrection. What reason could she possibly have for opposing such a commission? Well, 
why hear from me when we can hear it straight from the bitch horse's mouth? Matt, play, play the clips, please. People who breached the Capitol on January 6th are being abused, some even being held for 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. Okay. People who breached the Capitol. You can play uh, that. Yeah, Matt, you wanna... play, the, play the context clip. Yeah. That led into that. Okay. okay. <laughs> we got a, we got we got a text from Matt that just says shit. So you heard what you <laughs> said. People, the people uh, involved with the January sixth insurrection are being abused, being held in cells for up to twenty three hours a day, and it's horrible how the criminal justice system is treating these people. But the context that preceded that was she said, "Why are we so worried about this when we aren't?" talking about all of the riots that happened in the wake of George Floyd. So she brought up mm -hmm. the Black Lives Matter protest and then talked about how horrifically unjust the criminal justice system with no trace of irony whatsoever, which, you know, who would have thought, but here we are. She, uh, yeah, I mean, one, she's not wrong. <laughs> like, right. About, the criminal about, justice system is fucked up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't care that it's fucked up. Like, first of all, her, her premise, people involved in the George Floyd protest have been arrested a bunch capriciously. Some are spending a lot of time in jail awaiting trial. Like, some of them are locked up for like a year or two before they're going to get a date. Like, they, so the system does grind everyone who protests it up into powder. It's not just the MAGA people. <laughs> and if, right. for it, and the American government cracks down much harder on left wing protest movements. I don't know how to, like, right. I don't have evidence in front of me, but just take my word for it. If there's the entire history of the FBI and the CIA and how they function and how they work, if you get caught with weed at a left wing protest, you're going to go into prison for 20 years. If you break into Capitol and where, where five people are killed, you're probably going to get off of probation. And so I, um, I don't know. I don't know how to. Right. The way she kind of talks about it, the way she frames it is like she implies that why aren't we doing anything about <clears throat> Black Lives Matter protests and the people that riot at those when we're treating these, you know, the capital people so unjustly, which is what makes it all so absurd, because, of course, that's the, the whole reason for the former protest is the way the justice system has treated those people for so long. And this is the first time that uh, the other breed has ran into these problems. And they're like, man, this is fucked up y'all, but they still don't care about, you know, the people on the other side have gotten the same treatment. He, here's, here's a good way to judge the difference. All right. Like Antifa People argue about whether it doesn't or not. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's not organized specifically because these people are parodied about the federal government trying to crush them, right? They don't want to be on any lists. They don't want to have organized meetings because the federal government will infiltrate them and try to put them in prison. These Proud Boys and Oath Keepers are just having random committee meetings on Zoom and Facebook because they know nobody's going to fuck with them, right? Some of them have right. been infiltrated and stuff, but they're not paranoid about it. And like the, the circus around the people that got arrested they're, they're focusing on the silly, weird people, the Q shaman who we'll get to in a second or, or for an unrelated thing and a bunch of other dumb shit because it makes for good B-roll. But, but like if this was a left wing protest, whoever the left wing equivalent of Roger Stone and Steve Bannon would be in cuffs. Right. I don't think that's really up for much debate. So. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you, Matt and Mark. Listen to me. Actually, I want to make sure we get to at least the next two dumbasses we have. 
So let's mm-hmm. please uh, move on to them. We're not. Yeah. I, I want to. I think we'll save the quote from the Q Shaman's attorney because you have got to hear it if you haven't. But I want to move on to the next thing uh, just mm-hmm. to make sure we can cover this. So our our first honorable mention tonight is uh, anyone who thinks that masks won't protect you from the kinds of dipshits who would wear masks. What the hell does that mean? Well, it turns out, it seems, that many anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers out there have landed on the idea that the only way to protect themselves from us on the left and our lunatic mask and conspiracy theories is to wear masks because... How else are they going to be safe from us? So they yeah. started wearing masks to protect them from the people who wore masks to begin with. Yeah. So they Mark. think if you got <laughs> if you got the if you got the mRNA vaccine, it's infected you with a contagion where you're now shedding deadly particles and could cough through cough on them and give them the vaccine. I don't really understand. But <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so they, they do understand the germ theory of disease and do believe that masks work now, right? but not before. Right. Yes. Uh, and I'll, but it's not just, it's not just to protect them from the harmful vaccine coughs that those of us who have been vaccinated might spread to them in public. They also are, of course, Doing it to own the libs. Matt put up the mm-hmm. the next that next screen grab there. Look at this. Caitlin Bennett says, might just start wearing a mask again now that the CDC says you don't need to if you get the jab. Wouldn't want to give off the impression that I'm a vaccinated Democrat. So this is one of those things where it's like they're getting there way too late. But like I think so often we can if we really organize an effort to, we could just trick these people into doing the things we wanted them to do by like somehow yeah. making them think that we want the opposite or Obama yeah. says you should do the opposite, then they'll do it just for that reason. If for no other. Yeah. It's kind of like how they always threaten to nationalize Twitter. Um, whenever conservative gets banned from it, <laughs> yeah, right. it's right. like, Oh, you want the workers to own the means of production now? Interesting. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, as soon as a big corporation starts doing some liberal shit, they're yes, mm-hmm. they're always like, well, maybe we need to seize, they <laughs> seize turn, this corporation's assets, they, give it to the people. They <laughs> skip right over liberalism, go straight to full on communism, right. <laughs> full on communism, and it's going like, communist it's, to own the libs, man. Hell yeah, baby! <laughs> All right, so here's the next honorable mention in today's daily dumbass segment: uh, the governor of Oklahoma forever thinking that Joe Biden could pry Polynesian sauce out of our cold, dead hands. If you if you haven't seen this, we are in the middle of the great chicken sauce shortage of 2021. Oklahoma's Governor Kevin Stitt has blamed Joe Biden for Chick-fil-A's sauce shortage, and he's not the only one. They are fired up about this. Yeah, so... One, he, this was sent out in a fundraising email, which so he thinks it's going to be effective to get people to send in cash. And I, I, I don't think I need to tell you that uh, Oklahoma's gov- Republican governor is in no danger of losing to a Democrat, no matter what he does. So I don't know why he need to give. He could run for re-election with ten cents; it wouldn't matter. So please don't give the city any money. But uh, so th- he wasn't the first guy I saw this from. Ted Cruz tweeted this last week, and honestly, I was like, this is actually pretty funny. I thought it was a joke, right? Just <laughs> yes. like. They're like, as long as Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A has a sauce, Joe Biden is destroying America. Ha, ha That's actually the far first funny thing Ted Cruz ever did. But then 
I really now I realize he's not kidding. <laughs> right. That's, not, that's the thing. Like that, you yeah, it seems like some some of the things they do are so absurd. You will laugh at it first. You're like, there's no way this is sincere, right? But it is completely sincere. Yeah. So he because then Lauren Bobert shared an article that said yeah. Chick-fil-A sauce shortage. And he said, Joe Biden is destroying America. Then Lauren Bobert said the same thing. The Hill had an article, Chick-fil-A has a sauce shortage. That's all it says. And Bobert said, Is there no limit to how awful Biden's America can get. See, this is the other the sort of undercurrent for this for me. And we've talked about it before on the show. And part of me is gl- is glad that we're back to this. But it's like these are the things that amount to scandals for them. You know, when we are in power, like when Trump was in power, the things we were upset about every other week was, you know, uh, treason dead black people, no vaccines, you name it, like literal human lives being lost. But whenever Democrats are empowered, it's tan suits, mustard stains, and now Chick-fil-A sauces. But because what else do they have to get spun up about? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, white Republican people, what problems do they have other than yeah, I can't I mean, get pre- the sauce I want with the chicken I want that I primarily want because I know how much uh, it hurts the gays or whatever from eight yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, I, I don't. Uh, whenever we get off of this line, I want to. I, 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 the, the the lefty in me wants to point out all the fucked up shit that the Biden administration. I mean, overall, I, I have a few specific no, complaints for sure. They're, I, yeah, I'm but, not trying to like, say I mean, that they're unassailable. That's not what I mean. There's things you mean that from for the right us yeah. to get mad about. Yeah. There's things for us to be mad about, but like for them, when yeah. they've got to like generate a scandal or whatever, it's you know we don't have the, the, the chicken sauce we want. It almost made me feel funny. I could feel bad for Ted Cruz because he had a pretty funny bit going, and then a bunch of us. But it's like he think he he knows this is a joke or, or or a stupid issue, and he's trying to gin up the rubes who vote for him. But he forgot that a bunch of other rubes also serve with him, and they ruined his joke. That's what's really funny to me. Uh, but the, <laughs> what I really, tr- I surfed across this uh, re- working on the show today, and I do want to show this clip of this Australian news service trying to cover this. And Dude. this is a good example of how gross and fat and dumb and stupid they think we are. Listen to yes. this lady try to describe how we eat Chick fil A. <laughs> <laughs> reason as to why Joe Biden is copying blame for the shortage of sauce is because there's been a massive fuel shortage across several states in the US. As a result of the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack, Chick-fil-A released a statement apologising. Due to industry-wide supply chain shortages, some items like sauces may be unavailable. We apologise in advance for any inconvenience. They've told customers there will only be one sauce per entree, two sauces per meal, and three sauces per 30-count chicken nuggets. Social media erupted with President Biden copping it. Texas Senator Ted Cruz was quick to slam Biden with a simple message. Joe Biden is destroying America. Republican politician Josh Mandel wrote, In Joe Biden's America, Chick-fil-A has to limit sources because of supply chain issues. Gas stations are having mass shortages and prices are soaring. Laverne Spicer wrote, Chick-fil-A is out of source. Joe Biden is officially messing with our chicken. It's a problem. All right, so the part part of the clip that I really wanted to show that we, uh, uh, I think, skipped past, but she goes... 
They're limited success. The, the sauce, Americans go crazy for it. It's ranch and mustard and barbecue sauce all mixed together. Now, that is not a thing. See, I've read a list of the sauces, uh, uh, and yeah. That's nah, all right, Pat. Don't worry about it. All right, let's move on. No, but still, even in that, even in that part we show where it's like explaining Americans' outrage, it's like, here's what they're so upset about. Chick-fil-A has told them you can only get one sauce per what was it? One sauce per entree, two sauce per combo meal, or three sauces per uh, 30 piece chicken nugget. And it's just the implication is like, no, when we eat 30 goddamn chicken nuggets, we need at least seven to eight sauces. Like the outright, like three sauces is that's not enough sausage. Which, hey, I'm not saying I don't agree with the premise there, but that it would lead to this outrage is obviously absurd but yes in the other part of the clip they explain the sauce we're upset about when really of course it's america it's all the sauces we're upset about yeah. it's a shortage for all of them god damn it it's not one particular sauce but they seem to think that it's one specific sauce that is this like alchemical amalgamation of all of the fattest sauces on the earth yeah mixed into one and that's what we dip our fried homophobic yeah. chicken into they, they describe <laughs> in like this country. you know when when you were a kid you go to the soda fountain and mix all the drinks together yeah, they the su- describe the sauce yeah they describe the sauces yeah. like that yeah yeah but it's like but it is funny like i wonder why people were hoard, like we're like there was there was a gas store unless you needed to drive across country in the middle of last week it was no big deal but i was like oh now i get why people were hoarding gas they needed to go to chick-fil-a repeatedly to get enough sauces so now i get it right all right. You want right, to move on so, to the uh, yeah. yes, yes. Let's get into it. Like I said, big update on what's going on with stopping the steal, and it's very dumb. And Mark, take us into it. All right. So <laughs> we talked about the Arizona uh, recount uh, audit audit side. Yeah. They already did two recounts. This is an audit of the two recounts. Um, so it's become a full on clown show. It's even embarrassing half the state's Republicans. Uh, this is a story from yesterday. Uh, there, even this is from Vice. Even Republicans think stealing Arizona for Trump is a disaster. Uh, the, the Republican-led Board of Supervisors put out this letter. These are four, four out of five of this board of Republicans, and they said you have ruined, you, you have rented out the once good name of the Arizona State Senate to grifters and con artists who are fundraising hard-earned money from my fellow citizens, um, hunting, uh, hunting for bamboo and something they call kinetic artifacts while shining purple lights for effect. None of these things are done as serious audit. The result is the Arizona Senate is held up to ridicule in every corner of the globe and our democracy is in peril. Now, you know, people don't usually get that mad in government documents. <laughs> right. So uh, the, the, the funny part was, so Cyber Ninjas, who we talked about a couple weeks ago. So Cyber Ninjas uh, took a box that everybody knew had 200 ballots in it. And when they counted it, they got 218 ballots. There's yes. a huge paper trail. So they added 18 votes for Trump and just thought no one would fucking notice. And immediately got busted. Now, they, they can't even count to 200. And the important thing they need to know here is they're supposed to count 2.1 million ballots. Right. So at this rate, they're going to count 2.1 million ballots and end up with about 2.25 million ballots. So that's going to go great. Um, the they But they seem to be pivoting away from uh, Arizona because um, it's it's getting really obviously embarrassing and Arizona well, Republicans. Uh, hang on yeah. before you get to that, because I know you're going to circle back to this, I think, because one of the people behind one of these things is about to come up when you get into yeah. New Hampshire and everything. But also the methodology is absurd because they literally were at one point 
scanning for <laughs> bamboo artifacts on the ballots yeah. because obviously that would mean that it came from China because everybody in China just got bamboo fingers. That's how yeah. it worked. They're all just, you know, the, uh, the, pa- the pandas, pandas, in pa- pandas are working at the ballot factory yeah, and right. they're, they uh, panda they, bears they're snacking on bamboo. Yeah. While shining <laughs> purple lights for effect and some looking for something called kinematic artifacts. So they literally just make up things that sound like conspiracy e kinematic yeah. artifacts you guys heard about this and but this is an actual you know high level audit in a state involved with the presidential election they're just making up these x files these sounding words i mean it's insane yeah uh so uh the, the republican so this guy who took over is maricopa county they this this audit's happening in maricopa county this guy took over his, the election. Uh, I forget his actual title, but he runs the elections in Maricopa County. He won. He won the election. Trump lost in November. He just took office in January. For over, he, he beat a Democrat, and he's already horrifically embarrassed and getting death threats. And he like Trump put up on his blog. He, Trump has the, a shitty little WordPress blog now. That's how he communicates with uh, the world. <laughs> yeah. And and he put on a thing saying that uh, like a bunch of the the um, whole election database got deleted. And the guy did a Twitter thread. I'm looking. I'm sitting on a computer looking at the database right now. You're you're a moron. This is dangerous. Yada yada yada. He went on CNN. So anyway. Republicans in Arizona, there are enough of them with backbone where this isn't going the way they want. And it's becoming embarrassing. So they have pivoted to a state delegate recount in New Hampshire. So New Hampshire is now the biggest part of the Arizona right. audit. Because right there's no way this will turn out to be embarrassing. <laughs> no. So there's an article, uh, uh, throw up the screen grab, uh, how Trumpists are trying to hijack a small town New Hampshire ballot audit. Uh, so... <laughs> They're just they're, MAGA world is sending up on this little town called Wyndham, New Hampshire. All right, so um, it's just to settle it, it questions about a state representative race because there's like a uh, it was an eight way race for four state rep seats. I don't know how they do shit in New Hampshire. It's complicated, I guess. But uh, four four Republicans won this uh, those seats. So a Democrat only lost by 24 votes. Asked for a recount after the recount, she ended up losing by like four times that amount or something. So she right. asked, she's like, we should look into this. And as a bipartisan group of state legislators, like, yeah, that's like, it seems like a pretty big discrepancy. So we should like double check what happened. Maybe it's a mistake. In the, anyway, so it took like sincere concerns about maybe a miscount or a flaw in a ballot design or a machine problem or whatever. And it was spun into a huge conspiracy that's going to make Trump win New Hampshire and therefore be president, which doesn't even make any sense. So, but it's become a huge, um, like if, if you don't follow, this is the biggest thing happening in the, in the world, according to MAGA people. Right. This is right. going to change. There's going to be a huge earthquake that changes everything. Steve Bannon is in on it. Seb Gork is doing stuff. Um, uh, it, it, it's turned into a giant shit show. Now, we want to understand, help you understand the lens of what all this is happening through one guy who named Jovan Pulitzer. It's not his real name. We'll get to that in a second. Jovan is who the MAGA types are pushing to be put in charge of this New Hampshire recount. And he's important because he's always been a he's also been a big figure to them in the Georgia recount and the Arizona recounts. He is the guy who came up with this bamboo conspiracy theory back during the Georgia. Like we we don't know where it came from. It came from Georgia back in December. And here, uh, if Matt, you have that clip of him testifying in front of the Georgia. Uh, Did you know from a forensic level that you can tell absolutely the difference between paper here in the United States or paper that was made in China? There's different formulations. 
All right. So he's the bamboo guy. He looks perfectly sane, right, uh, Trey? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, in one of these clips, he said he was talking about himself, and he said, really, what I am is I'm a geek or a nerd in the body of a biker's biker, body. Yeah. A biker's body. You guys saw him there. How bad? I mean, undeniably badass that guy is. I mean, yeah, he's sort of uh, girthy, I suppose, but not what I think of when I think of bikers. So, But that's the um, least of, the, of this guy's insanity, so go on. No. Yeah, so that actually, this guy we didn't physically cross paths, but he was a big factor in my life about twenty years ago, and I didn't even know it. So he invented this okay. device <laughs> called a Q Cat. Do you know what the Q Cat is, Trey? That's how he made his money. I didn't before we were getting okay. ready for this. But so no. when I li- when I lived in Dallas, the Q Cat was all the rage in Dallas because he lived in Dallas, and really? he par- <laughs> he part he partnered with Radio Shack. And uh, Radio Shack was pushing the QCAT. And the way the QCAT worked, back, this was back in the early stages of the internet, you'd hook it up like through a mouse port, and it looked like it was designed to look like a little plastic cat, but it'd scan QR codes. Now, um, you would, you there would, there'd be a QR code like on, on, on uh, items, or for example, a rival, a newspaper that was rival to the one I worked for, put QCAT codes at the bottom of their stories. If you scanned the code, it would take you to, it would, you would open up your internet browser and take you to the new, newspaper's website to look at articles with similar content or that article specifically. So you'd have to take the physical copy of the newspaper, scan it with the QCAT, and go to the same article on the internet. That was that was amazing technology in 2002. <laughs> yes, and the QCAT has been multiple times regarded as literally one of the worst gadgets ever made. I also so it's like, stupid. Essentially, but like the thing is, that sounds like a QR code, which is a thing now, a QR code is. Yeah. But A... He didn't invent that general concept. He just made it into a cat. And yeah. B, it's like at that time, not everybody had a device in their pocket that could scan something like that. Mm-hmm. It was basically a replacement for typing in a URL and pushing enter at that yeah. time. Because it had to what, be hooked up to your computer. Like you yeah. could just type that in, but instead you got a little cat device to do it for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the highest level of use for this, like you'd scan a can of Coke and it would take you to coupons for get more Coke. That'd be like the, the highest right. level use. For it. It, 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 anyway, it didn't work out. Radio Shack's out of business. I don't even notice. Uh, so, uh, but that's how he made his money. But it, like he got so wildly panned, like Mark Cuban wrote a blog about it. And then this guy's wife left him and he openly blamed Mark Cuban for his wife leaving him. So there you go. Uh, He also, in addition to describing himself as a geek in the body of a biker, he also has described himself in his bio as a, quote, somewhat reclusive genius with the technical know-how of Bill Gates, the daring of Richard Branson, the marketing genius of Sam Walton, all mixed up with a little touch of Ted Turner and the media hype that surrounds Donald Trump. He he said he has over he on every day is on over twelve billion devices worldwide. So this is I mean yeah. this is how this dude describes himself. So I mean pretty important guy. Yeah yeah. If you if you wonder what it makes him expert on computer security slash election security, uh, QCAT got hacked real bad. One of the reasons he went out of business. So <laughs> uh, he also his LinkedIn page says he's taken free online classes at Harvard and Stanford. So this is the guy you want to go to to save democracy. <laughs> uh, Again, but, this is so, their guy. Like, just so y'all know, like, this is the dude. They all are clamoring for this dude to be the guy in charge. That's why we're talking about him. Yeah. So just to, to run through this real, uh, real quick, he uh, he. So 
he changed his name to try to obscure his like uh, Google results. I forget what his real name is. It doesn't matter. But it's not Jovan Pulitzer. And he also created his own Wikipedia to try to obscure his Google search history. I don't mean, but I don't mean he made his own page. I mean he's made his own fucking Wikipedia. All right, <laughs> he's an absolute lun- <laughs> lunatic, uh, and he's also um, an amateur treasure hunter. That's how he's been killing his time <laughs> as a rich person since. Uh, but bet- between between overturning r- running coups and inventing the QCAT. He's become an amateur treasure hunter, and he uh, it didn't that didn't go well for him either. Uh, let's look at some cute uh, uh, some this clip of him on the History Channel, uh, Matt. And the bottom of this hole is going to be some of the most important pieces of treasure to mankind. We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. The gold chest, which according to the Old Testament, contained the actual Ten Commandments? Uh, to be clear, he, he's claiming to have found the Ark of the Covenant in Canada. That's in what he's can- saying. He found a hole it. in Canada. In yes. Canada. And he also, in the same show, um, he claimed to have found an ancient Roman sword that proved Romans sailed to Canada. And it took about 10 minutes for people to get on eBay and find copies of the same sword. He just found a plastic sword and thought Romans so- were in Canada. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, give this to everybody else because I I like it so much. Our guest John Ray, who's in the green room, we're about to bring out here, said uh, in the uh, the show chat that scene looks like an AA meeting for people who have lost their families <laughs> as opposed to ancient treasures, and that's funny. I'm gonna like this guy. Let's go ahead and get to him. This is our. Our guest tonight, John Ray, who is a director of polling at YouGov Blue, where he does polling for progressive issues and candidates. A native of Louisville, Kentucky, he's worked for local, state, and national candidates across the country since 2006 and has recently been uh, focused on polling rural America. So let's get him out here, John Ray. Howdy, folks. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks hey, for John. being here. That was a great joke, man. I love well, that. Uh, you know, I just want to... I just want to say for uh, all that time that you just spent on a guy who claims to be a geek in a biker's body, I appreciate you taking equal time for geeks who are just geeks and fucking geeks' bodies. Just so. geeks. Yeah, <laughs> pleasure, That's pleasure, pleasure. Yeah, yeah um, it's nice to have somebody who's math literate on the show for once. It's going to be nice. <laughs> so uh, Matt put up a screen grab of a uh, an article, an opinion article in the Washington Post that just uh, went out there that was uh, using data from your organization and the polling you get that had to do with um, – Democratic's efforts in rural America, right? And it was centered around the stimulus checks. And what it found was that um, many rural Americans are not crediting the Democratic Party for the stimulus checks. Uh, Only 50% of rural voters are doing that. 32% associate the stimulus checks with the GOP and give Republicans credit for it. And another 11% don't credit either party. Uh, although almost 70% of them support the stimulus checks in general. So let's get into it. What's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, so, so the, yeah, for real. So this is some polling that we did uh, specifically on rural voters who live in what we call the battleground states, which are going to be the most important states that come up in the uh, 2022 uh, cycle. And so, you know, what we found You know, the good news is it's going to be kind of a really mixed story here. But the good news is, is that among rural voters, uh, Democrats policies are quite popular. Uh, We got large majorities saying that they support things like the key components of the American Rescue Plan. uh, Like you just said, the stimulus checks. 
uh, key elements of the infrastructure plan that's going to get proposed soon, like eliminating uh, lead from our water pipes. Super popular, over 70 to 80% support among rural voters, including majorities of Republicans and independents, which is always great. The problem is that Democrats are facing is that a lot of these voters are actually attributing these policies to Republicans. Republicans are getting a lot of credit for the things that Democrats stand for. So like you just said, about a third of rural voters get Republicans credit for the stimulus checks. That includes an outright majority of Republicans and as many independents who say that the Republicans are doing this, who also say that, who think the Democrats are doing this. So basically, basically a split. Uh, similarly, one of our really big winner policies that we've proposed for rural voters recently uh, pertain to expanding access to broadband internet in rural areas. Uh, and almost a quarter of voters think that Republicans are the ones doing that uh, and, not, and not Democrats. So on the one hand, we've got good policies. On the other hand, a lot of rural voters think Republicans are responsible for them. So uh, in your opinion, I mean, what is the cause for that? Is it the is it the Democrats brand? Is it propaganda? Like what like what is the reasoning for that uh, for these people feeling that way? Yes. Yeah, so we really tried think? to. Yeah. So we really tried to press voters on that on that exact question in this in the same survey. So what we did was we said, you know, we, we ran people through these policies, the Democrats or Republicans might support. And then finally, we said, OK, look. Now imagine, okay, here's some policy, here's some policies that Democrats are proposing. And, you know, do you support or oppose these policies? And we asked sort of similar things. And we found that support for them is pretty good. But in a follow-up question, we asked, okay, now let's think of these same policies that Democrats have proposed. Are they proposing them because they sincerely want to make your life better? Or are they proposing them as a sort of cynical way to pander to rural voters? And for Democrats, uh, voters overwhelmingly thought, even for the policies that they supported, when the voters supported, when they thought Democrats were the ones supporting them, they really thought, they sort of interpreted that cynically, like Democrats just want to win my vote. They don't sincerely believe in the problems uh, that, I'm, that I'm facing. Now, one thing that's important to keep in mind there is that a lot of rural voters, and we can sort of jump into this a little bit more uh, as we go on, um, are almost as cynical of the Republican Party as they are of Democrats. Right. But one of the big takeaways we saw here is that even considering that, uh, voters were pretty were pretty skeptical of, uh, Demo you know, first of all, what Democrats are doing in the first place, and then second of all, their motivations for, for what they do. Right. I, I mean, I when you said they were cynical of both parties, I've told people plenty of times, because it's the truth from my perspective as a kid growing up in the rural South, the way I remember it, I would have described most people as being apolitical, actually. It was this like, this attitude of, they're all full of shit. None of them give a damn about us and fuck them, basically, like for both sides. I'm sure a lot of those people were registered Republicans or whatever, but that was the sort of general sentiment. And which is part of the reason it was so surprising to me when it became like kind of Trump country and they really dove in on the, uh, you know, identity politics of being associated with the MAGA world and that and that. Uh, part of the GOP, do you think that, so they obviously don't believe that Democrats are actually um, sincerely concerned about them. Do you think that that has anything to do with, or how much that is affected by the sort of like stereotype of Democrats representing coastal elites who all think that you're dumbasses and fly over country and that type of thing? Like they look down upon you, so there's no way they could believe that 
your interests are genuine and, you know, you're just trying to game us? Like, yeah. is that the kind of mentality? Yeah, so I think there's there's two things there. Let's do, we can talk about sort of the Democrats specifically, and we'll sort of talk about rural voters' uh, views of sort of politics, sort of broadly speaking. So when it comes to, you know, Democrats, we ask voters to tell us, like, okay, here are some things that are that are important to people. When you think of this thing, do you associate that more with uh, with the Democrats or with the Republicans? And here's one of the things that really, really sort of surprised me. So on the one hand, voters do have this feeling that in some sense, uh, Republicans really do cater to the to the to the wealthy. Okay, so in some so in some areas, it's a bit of a mixed bag. But we also ask people things like, okay, which of these parties we had to pick the Democrats or the, or the Republicans, which of these parties is controlled by corporate lobbyists, they actually mm-hmm. said, said that the Democrats were the ones with that problem. A, quite a bit higher than they said the same for Republicans. It wasn't, you know, 100 and zero, but it was, you know, something like 60, 40 or something that Democrats being the ones associated with sort of, uh, you know, corporate, corporate elite, which I think is a different thing uh, from, you know, this party is for wealthy people. This is a specific thing of like, for like elite interests and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go on, go on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, and, And so I think, Sort of on that on that same point, though, something else that I think we don't maybe people don't don't appreciate is that if you really sort of dig in on what rural voters say their priorities are, the things they actually you know you know support or oppose a policy is one is one thing, but the things that I actually prioritize is is, is I think a different question. And so if you go and you ask people, you know okay, here's a set of policies. Do you think this is like a really big problem in your area that we need to sort of do more about? So we sort of try to get at, you know, what are the what are the policy, what are the, what are the issues that are like really important for your type of place as a way to sort of get this question of sort of what are particular sort of rural voter concerns? And I think something that's important for people to understand is that a lot of the sort of national conversation about rural voters is actually missing a lot of their priorities. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, all, most of most of us are are from rural areas, are from sort of quote unquote flyover country. We're probably sort of aware of this, but you know, for example, if you ask rural voters, you know, problems that farmers have faced during COVID, farmers and agribusiness, only about a third of rural voters really say that's like a unique problem to the kind of place that they that they live in. And I think there's this stereotype in the rest of the country about like you think rural America, you think farming. Uh, what we actually found were like some of the biggest issues that rural area voters said. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. I know uh, we've got some uh, folks in Southern California on it, on at the at the moment. Um, the, the sort of biggest problems that they said that they thought were particular to rural areas were the rising cost of caring for seniors, uh, the rising cost of housing. Tell me if there's, if there's any Southern California yeah. coastal <laughs> elites on the, right. the podcast who think that might right. be an issue as well. Uh, the rising cost of childcare and the rising cost of, of educating your kids. Uh, which obviously are problems that the whole country faces. So one thing that I think is really important for us to understand is that when we talk about rural voters, I think there might be a tendency to think that we're talking about, you know, farmers or are we just, right. are, we talk, are we talking about this sort of like magical place that we see in like a Matthew McConaughey movie or something? Right. Like, we're, like, we're, like we're talking about our fellow, our fellow Americans. I think that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, sure. future future governor of Texas, Matthew McConaughey. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, I, I so when I read that the data in that article, some of it was it was infuriating at first, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, it's actually like, I mean, 
yet up 32 and 11, it's like, okay, well, 57% of people are still open to, to crediting Democrats with uh, the stimulus check. Yeah. And then it's like, and, and then like, it's like, okay, well, 30% associated with the GP, GOP. But I mean, Trump was president. Mitch McConnell controlled the Senate when they passed the first stimulus. Like, so it's like, okay, maybe, because my first takeaway was like, holy shit, they're so caught up in a propaganda bubble that on that no noise can break through and no, and people don't even understand what they're voting for. And then you, then you get into really deep existential questions like, what is the point of democracy if people can't understand what's happening enough to vote based on it? You know, so uh, yeah. So, what is the point of democracy? I guess is my question. There, John. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, no, I think that no. I mean, like it is. So, me and Mark have said repeatedly ever since Biden took office and everything. Don't worry about working with the Republicans. All you got to do is worry about passing Democratic policies. Democratic policies ostensibly are meant to help people if that is actually true. If you're not full of shit and they really do work that way, then pass the policies. You help people and you'll be fine. People will, people will understand that and you'll be okay. You want to face this big backlash or whatever. But if when you do that, they give the credit for that to the other side, then, you know, what are you supposed to do? What else is there left to do other than just keep trying to help people and hope it works out? Like what, like <laughs> what, what else is the, what is the other? Do the right thing you know? for its own sake, Trey. What right. a revolutionary idea. <laughs> yeah, um, but you have to stay in power though, you know? Yeah, like, no, I, I, I will, I'll interject like the comical like example of this is like, Trump put his name all over the first stimulus and Biden made a big show of refusing to take any credit for the second one would not put it like, like the people try to be like, Hey, sign the, put your name on the checks. Like, Nope, not going to do it. Right. So it's like Democrats think like taking credit for the shit you gave people is like, uh, uncouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I think it sounds like we all probably agree that that might, that might be a mistake or, uh, you know, have certain tactical limitations or however you want to put it dip diplomatically. But I think, the first thing, the first thing uh, that the that, that said is really important to think about because in this data, we kind of try to dive in and figure out, okay, as it, you know, people, people attribute some stuff to Republicans, but they're not terrible. You know, it's like, like you were saying, it's sort of like 40-20 or 40-10 or something. It's not, you know, 100-0. So people kind of have a, have an inkling of sort of what's, what's going on here. Who are the people who are either, you know, they're, so, you know, there's this one question, like, who are the people who are just com completely wrong? And as it turns out, the people who are completely wrong, a huge share of them are these, like, massively motivated Republican partisans uh, who are likely not going to be in what you might call a target universe. Uh, they're the folks who uh, are watching Fox News. They're the folks who haven't switched a vote in the last three or four elections. They're the folks who, in some sense, are sort of motivated sort of in their minds to think about, like, if it's a thing that I like, Republicans must be responsible for it. If we kind of dig around in the in the data a little bit more and find these people who, you know, do they maybe they they mistrust both parties? These people who don't like like, like you said, because I, I agree with you. I think I think there's, there's a bigger problem of voters who just feel like the whole system sucks and both parties are pieces of shit. And I think in, in the rural areas, that's sort of the thing that we should be talking about. Because if you look at those people who are, depending how you measure it, somewhere between. 30, 40, 50% of voters in these areas who have just low trust in both parties in general, something that's interesting about them is that 
you know, because they are mistrustful of both of the parties, they're not getting their news about them from the places where like political lunatics like you or I get our news about stuff. They're not watching MSNBC. They're not watching Fox News. They're actually uh, this whole cohort of people who are who are younger than the average voter. It doesn't say much in rural America. It's like, you know, the average voter in the sample is somewhere in the 50s. So this isn't saying all that much, but they're they're younger and they also are significantly more likely to be getting their news from places where, where uh, none of the parties are traditionally targeting their average campaigns in the first place. So the folks who kind of feel like both parties suck, who are sort of maybe persuadable in some measures, are actually much more likely to uh, say they get their news from podcasts, get their news from Reddit, uh, Twitter, uh, places like uh, their Discord communities or online gaming communities. And I think what's really important about that is because Democrats have this messaging problem and because we're sort of on the back footing in a lot of rural areas, uh, it's really important for us to think about the messengers that we deploy when we go to take credit for these things that we should be taking credit for. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we all just spent 14 months resisting the urge to start a podcast. You know, I know we every... Every we single did one. it. We did it. And you and you and you, and you gave we in. Probably you should have resisted it, but hey, here we are. Yeah. And, you, and you, you you did you did the right you did the right thing because I think there's this. Uh, I know this is the first time anyone's ever said it was a great thing you began you began a podcast. I know it's not it's not, a, it's not a popular take, but uh, because because these younger voters who are paying less attention to either side's partisan outlets um, are actually making more and more use of this type of medium this is an important place to become sort of a trusted messenger for the policies that you agree with, the values that you hold in the party that you, that you support. Um, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, Mark. I feel like I've monopolized oh, it so far. I was like, like the thing, I mean, the thing that depresses me is like, I mean, a lot of stuff depresses me. I shouldn't, it should be more specific, but the, uh, the uh, when you negativity towards the idea of government is always going to like, benefit republicans right so like the cynicism like i i I get what we're saying here where they're not attached to parties but thinking that everyone in government's a piece of shit who can't be trusted is like i don't know it's it's bad to me (laughs) well it's kind of de facto republican you mean like yeah 30 rock joke where it was like uh uh not everybody's Republicans. Some of them are Christians. And he's like, yeah, we count those. Those are Republicans. Like some people write in Jesus. That's what it was like. Some people write in Jesus Christ. Those are Republican. We count those. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's kind of the the same thing. I mean, it is, it is worrying. So I guess I just want to know, uh, John, A, you know, how can people keep up with your stuff and what you're doing and the organizations you're involved with. And, you know, if they have an interest in it, how can they find it and stay in touch with it? And then also if you have any sort of like big kind of takeaways that we haven't touched on what people need to know about uh, rural America and the democratic ideal there or whatever. And if you don't, that's fine. If you're like, fuck, I don't know, you know, that's fine. <laughs> but whatever you got, just hit us with it. <laughs> yeah. So I think what we're going to see in the next cycle is it's going to be important for us to think about candidates who are capable of building kind of a personal brand that sets them apart from either party establishment. And we know Republicans are already quite astute at doing this. You know, right. you're from Tennessee. You've seen a million 30 year incumbents who are campaigning as the outsider. Right. You know, mm-hmm. every every Republican incumbent campaigns on reform. Um, and I think it's going to be 
important for us to think about ways for Democrats to do that. You know, some of the really trusted messengers in rural areas that we found include, you know, not just, you know, you know, uh, doctors and teachers, religious figures, veterans. And you want to think about having a good set of candidates to sort of help us cover these sort of like trusted messengers who aren't necessarily wedded to one sort of uh, party ID or the other, but are also able to sort of communicate the fact that these things that we all sort of stand for, these things that we that we agree on that are sort of wildly popular, you know, when you have the opportunity, you know, I know we're, you know, it's, um, you know, two weeks is Memorial Day, so we're all a couple of weeks away from being trapped in a traffic jam with our family members. You know, there's no, you know, there's there's never going to be a bad time to sort of make sure it's, it's really clear uh, who, who supports what? And I think to Democrats' credit, I think they have been quite good, at least in sort of the media that I that I follow, have been quite good in calling out Republicans who, you know, are trying to host those meetings that are like, oh, come learn about the uh, the small business benefit that they, of course, fucking voted against. I think Democrats have been pretty good about that stuff. And I'll be curious to see if it ends up having any sort of consequences. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, I think last cycle, we had a lot of really strong candidates who were sort of able to overperform by having that sort of personal brand, where I think of them as, you know, the candidate first, and then, you know, maybe a Democrat. Like, I think I think that actually does, does do something. Um, so that's sort of something that I hope to see more of kind of going forward in uh, rural, rural America. And then also that's the thing I was sort of saying about the importance of having trusted messengers. And again, uh, loonies like y'all who are running podcasts and actually dealing with the, mm-hmm. doing the whole, the whole rig- rigmarole. Uh, I know it sounds a little bit like ass kissing, but, but I, I genuinely think, it, think it's, 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 it's the, 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 the good work. Um, easiest place to follow me. Um, I tweet every insipid thought that passes between my ears. Uh, I met uh, John L. Ray. Uh, and YouGov, you know, it's it's YouGov. I don't know. Pick up the Economist, kind of, you know, yeah. wherever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, John. This has been a wonderful conversation, and yeah, I opened it with a great joke. Always a great way to come. <laughs> so really appreciate you joining Doing us. Best, and, uh, yeah, keep uh, thanks, John. Keep doing it, man. Appreciate it. You too, John Ray. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. So. Listen, Mark, I know we had a topic we were going to bring up at this point, but actually it's kind of evergreen, I think. Uh, so let's let's All right, we'll save it. it. I definitely want to talk about it in the future. Uh, but everybody, <laughs> give us your uh, questions and comments on what you think about anything we covered tonight. But, you know, Democrats in rural America or the lunacy of the ballot recounts or any of that. But, yeah, I just... Um, it's one of those because like people that's one of the most common questions I ever get asked when I'm doing any kind of interview. It's like, well, how, what can we do to, to to like reach these people? And I've changed that answer multiple times. And lately, my go to has been what we've talked about on the show. Like, you know, just now that we have some power, just get some shit done and people will respond, which I still do still like want to yeah. believe in. But it's like. It's just discouraging to think that people see that and attribute it to the Republicans or whatever. And it's like, just what what can you do? You know, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, I don't like if the old rule, like like I I was joking about what's the point of democracy. But like but like we don't know if the old rules apply or not. Plus, people are pretty savvy and cynical now. So they will give wrong answers to pollsters to own the people they don't like. Right. I do think when it comes down right. to yeah. to vote to voting their actual pocketbook, when they walk into the booth and they have to choose between their kid getting a good school or not, I think it's going to come out to the people who are trying to give their kids good schools. 
I just lay my heart. I have to believe that or otherwise what's the point of the whole American experience? What else do we have if we can't believe in that? Yeah, I agree with you completely. Monica Hansmeyer says Dems need to refocus (laughs) on the working class. Yes, that's another thing I've been saying that for forever it's like it seems like the most and we've talked about it on here plenty of times before too it seems like the most obvious thing that they could possibly do and i mean they like i don't know they are making some efforts but it could be it could, there, it could be better <laughs> it, this sounds so counterintuitive but one of the things that's most popular across the board in american politics right now is raising taxes on rich people not even right. to pay for x just take money from rich people <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and they don't need it all. God damn it! <laughs> I mean, and, and Democrats had Biden had originally proposed raising taxes on people that make over four hundred thousand dollars a year, and Democrats are in the process of talking themselves out of it. Now that doesn't mean they're going to cut back on social spending because we don't have to get into like monetary theory and all that shit right now. But it's not necessarily it, it, taxes. Don't don't. I mean, they've never been connected to spending. We spend way more than we take in from taxes. It's it's whatever. Right. But th- I don't. People make more than $400,000 are not a large group of people. I'm not in that group, definitely. <laughs> um, and I, I don't understand how many voters you think you're going you think you're going to lose by doing that. Because people don't vote straight up. I mean, what we just talked about, rural voters, like voting against the people they're trying to give them broadband. It's like people don't vote their pocketbook straight up. They just don't. Like People vote based upon chicken sauce shortages and shit. Like it, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's right. stupid, but it's true. So like. Bucket razor taxes and see if you see if you can get an angle at it. I don't. I don't. I don't, yeah. I don't understand. Well, here's a question for you, Mark. John Burton says, "How can we keep the Arizona recount from turning into a snowball going downhill?" Uh, dim, I guess uh, it's like well, they've already moved to New Hampshire for the next one, and I guess it's sort of like is like just this continuing to be a thing. Further well, I mean, and like, and them you, getting more and more into it. The danger in here is just like. The whole part, like, like, so Georgia's um, lieutenant governor just announced he's not running for re-election uh, whenever he's up, like a year or two or whatever. Like, Donald Trump has has harassed that guy out of politics for doing his job. He's a Republican, right? So right. the party has basically ejected everyone who's not willing to do a coup, and that's the real danger here. Was it? Like, I don't think Democrats realize that like it, Biden could win by fourteen points in twenty twenty four, but if Republicans control the House, he might not get certified, and then what? You know what I'm saying? Like I don't, I don't know yeah. what happens after that. Um, so I don't think they're really walking through the ramifications of what it means if republic. If, if, if it doesn't matter if he wins Georgia and Arizona, if they have Republican legislatures, it just doesn't. So unless they will pass some similar voting rights reform and overcome the filibuster, it, none of this, none of this might matter. Is is is, right. is, is the thing about it? So like they're they're not. Nothing's going to happen in Arizona except what they're doing is testing to see who will full, go along with this fucking bullshit. And right. promoting the people who will and eliminating the people who won't because they're they're not doing anything in Arizona. They're they're getting momentum going for the next for the next coup. Yeah. So. Kim Shay twenty two on YouTube says, I think it's too late for that snowball. And I mean, yeah, I think it's like the 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 factors, the support that is behind all of that being such a thing is going to continue to be there, I think. Like, they're not going to just give up on it, you know what I mean? Like, to move on to New Hampshire, it'll be on to the next thing before long. Uh, Steve Horvath says, do you think the worker shortage looks bad for Dems? I know it's complicated. Well, that's what we talked about while you were gone, Mark. Um, And 
As far as how it looks, I mean, I get because we just talked about how the difference in like what's actually happening and how people perceive it is, of course, a gulf for a lot of people in this country. Yeah. But um, but it, but having said that, it's not there is no worker shortage, you know, like that. It, it's a, it's all bullshit. Like it's I mean, it's capitalism at work, really. Like if you want people to fucking work for you make it worth it for them unless you just are down with going back to slavery or whatever, which I'm sure many of them would be if they had the opportunity. But you know yeah. what I mean? It's like people have just decided, fuck you. It ain't worth, it ain't worth that. You know? And I mean, like, I, I don't know what, I mean, like the, the, the data doesn't show a worker shortage. I know some individual restaurants complain about not being able to fill staff, but also like, holy shit, we just went through a pandemic where 600,000 people, 600,000 to a million people died. One of the hardest hit sectors outside of nursing homes was restaurant workers. Maybe you can't find your workers aren't coming back to work because they're fucking sick or dead, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like it's a, it, it, this country is like, it, it, okay. So talk about how the labor shortage isn't showing up in the data. Like if you want to blame like worker shortage on like the unemployment unemployment surplus, how come the states that have the biggest unemployment surpluses are having the least amount of worker shortages and 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 the quickest right. turnaround of their economies? Like California's not experiencing this. This is like people in Oklahoma where they not like it. it I don't know. It, it's 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 like it seems like a meme started by the Chamber of Commerce, and like they're like, right. yeah, the chambers the chambers like two weeks away from demanding reinstating the draft to like tr- uh, try to fucking to force people to, to work. Yeah. run Again, run fajita poppers or whatever, I don't, I, I, I just, or whatever. But yeah, yeah. There we talked about last week. Like <clears throat> economists will tell you that in a scenario where you have a genuine labor shortage, like literally, there is a labor shortage. The way the market responds to that is by increasing wages to incentivize people to work for them. And that is not happening. They just want to bitch about nobody being willing to do their bullshit for no money. Lauren Russell Pink says, glad you're back, Mark. And as and always good to see Trey. Thank you. you, I appreciate it. I'm also thrilled he's back. Um, Yeah. Are you glad to be back, Mark? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was just. Yeah, I know. I, I I really am. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about like I, I got to I saw uh, uh, our buddy Corey was in uh, in town uh, this weekend doing the MTV Movie Awards. Shout That's out, right. Buttercream if you Green. That look it up, Corey Forster, senior uh, Georgia correspondent, was on the fucking MTV Movie Awards Sunday. So yeah, he did out. a he did a, he did the Buttercream Dream on stage to a bunch of teenagers because mm-hmm. uh, Leslie Jones wanted him to. Uh, is is it was really funny. I don't quite. <laughs> whatever it's a crazy world yeah. uh but i don't know i was just thinking about our college football uh team name argument the other night and how people vote based on uh based upon dumb bullshit and you're right like i mean like we, you could give people all the best health care in the world but if you try to change if a bunch of woke kids try to make the tennessee volunteers change their name because of the origins of slavery or whatever of the in the uh civil war People are you a Democrat would never win Tennessee, even if their policies were like a hundred to zero. <laughs> yeah, man. It's how culture be that way. Guest house writer said, Corey. Yes, we say the same thing. Love Corey. He's the best. Love y'all too. Love Mark. Thanks for coming back. And uh that's it for this week's edition of Weekly Skews. We'll see you in seven days, baby. See you later. <laughs>